Super Talk Mississippi media production. What if everyone was turning their head to look at you with a brand new Flowmaster exhaust system from Exhaust Pro in Macomb on Georgia Avenue? Cruise in style with Exhaust Pro of Macomb on Georgia Avenue. Celebrating the amazing people of coastal Mississippi and across this great state who are working hard to make this a great place to live, work, and play. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. I hope you're having a great day and welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show. We really are glad that you joined us here on 103.1 or maybe you're watching on Facebook or YouTube or your favorite podcast. We're thrilled to have you as we celebrate the men and women who are working so hard to make this such a great place to live, work, and play. You know, I often say on this show that it takes so many different people in so many different ways contributing to coastal Mississippi. So we'll talk to high-level community leaders that are leading on the regional level. We'll talk to people who are leading at the neighborhood level and all points in between. Um, one of the things that I enjoy doing is talking to people who work in, in tourism and uh, across the hospitality sector, what they're doing to uh, continue to create success for coastal Mississippi. You know, I really can't overstate that. It's so important what they're doing. And, um, you know, one that I really have enjoyed staying in touch with really since the advent of Coastview and now the Ricky Matthews Show is my friend, the the, uh, the really wonderful chef for, from White Pillars, Austin Summerall. And you may have seen his name in the, uh, in the headlines recently. I'll share some of that with you here shortly. But before we go any further, let me uh, welcome my friend Austin back to uh, the Ricky Matthews Show. How you doing, my friend? Fantastic. Thank you, Ricky, for having me. My it's- it's good to see you. So where are you sitting right now, my friend? We're in the front dining room uh, here at the restaurant. Well, look, we're gonna we're actually going to take a step back here in just a second and remind people where you come from and all of that. Sure. Uh, this is not your first award. Uh, you've, uh, you've had some success when you've gone out there in the competitive uh, chef world. But more recently, the headline from Mississippi, Super Talk Mississippi News says this. Biloxi Chef wins $15,000 grand title on the Food Network's Alex versus America. Well, first of all, let me say congratulations to you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So uh, what has it been like? You know, I'm sure that people have, you've been in the media, you sort of, it's more than 15 minutes of fame, but, uh, but it's cool to have your own place and have a little bit of notoriety. It helps your restaurant. It brings focus to your restaurant and that's good for everyone, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think probably the, uh, the hardest part about all this is that we filmed that back in October and I haven't been able to talk about it until just now. So, uh, it's been nice that it finally aired and we can discuss it and put it on our socials and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's just, it's really exciting. So you had a lot of time to think about <laughs> yeah, how, how, right. how are people going to react to uh, to you winning? Hey, listen, for people who haven't seen the Food Network's Alex versus America, tell them about it. Tell them about the program. And it's, I, I've, I've come to understand it's pretty popular. And, sure. um, you know, again, you taped it in o- o- October. That's a long time to wait. But tell, tell us about the program. So it's a uh, it's Food Network show. Um, it's a uh, spinoff from Iron Chef. Um, Alex Warren Shelley. It's her own show. She is an Iron Chef, 
And essentially what she does is she invites three chefs from a specific uh, uh, type of cuisine. Like our, our show was Southern and uh, she challenges those, those chefs and you compete against her and the other chefs. So um, you have two rounds of cooking and there, there are parts of it that are kind of similar to chopped. There's not like a secret ingredient, but there are different um, uh, elements that you'll have to, you have to go through. You don't know what you're going to make ahead of time. Essentially you have uh, different, like on mine, there was different styles of cuisine that we had to do. And you had some, had some choices you had to make through the, uh, through each uh, round. And then the last place from the first round goes home. And then whoever wins the first round gets to choose all of the variables for the second round. So on my episode, I actually got third out of fourth in the first round. So um, I, uh, I didn't play it how they wanted me to. Uh, it was supposed to be picnic. The other choice was fine dining. And uh, so my plate was a little too fancy. Um, and uh, I almost went home on the first round. Alex won the first round. And got to choose all the variables on the second one, so kind of had the cards stacked against me, um, but obviously it uh, it ended up well. Well, you um, and you know it's interesting because the general public is more aware of the roles that chefs play, the creativity, the innovation, the the role of the sous chef. Then you know that's not something that the average person knew much about, you know, how how you organize the kitchen, the teamwork approach to it, and so on and so on, because of all these different TV programs that are focused on chefs today. Um, that creates like mass awareness where there used to not be awareness. That helps you, doesn't it? I, I think so, you know, and, and a lot of chefs may, may disagree with me on this. Obviously, it's, uh, you know, it's worked out well for me. Um, but, you know, Food Network and everything like that kind of gives you a glimpse into, you know, the lives of, of real chefs. Uh, you know, the, the people that were competing on there are you know, that's what they do. That's their, that's what they do for a living. They're chefs. And, uh, even Alex, uh, you know, when it all boils down, she's a chef, um, a very good one. And the, the hard part about this particular show is that her specialty is competition. Um, you know, she's been on iron chef. Um, she's a, a judge on chopped. Um, and then she has her own show and all of those are about, you know, the competition aspect of cooking something on the fly, something that you don't know you're going to be doing ahead of time. And, um, she's really, really good. And, uh, she does not lose very often. Um, so it was, uh, I knew it was an uphill battle. I'd watched a lot of the episodes, uh, going into the, the competition and, you know, it was an honor just to be there. Uh, and I would, I would do it just, just for that. And, and because I enjoy the competition part, but, um, being out, being able to actually come home with the win was, uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. We'll remind folks here shortly about where you come from, but when you go back and look at your family influence and this whole notion of understanding how to keep it fresh and the innovation that you brought to the table through a lot of trial and tribulations over, over many years, you're kind of like a chef. I guess, I guess generally chefs to be successful need to be human sponges. I mean, you've got to be able to soak it up. Sure. But when you go through an experience like this, I bet it is incredible what you learn, ways that you can maybe do things slightly different and, 
and it changes you as a chef, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, and, you know, people's trajectory, you know, kind of forms who they end up being as a chef. And, you know, it's the people that you work for um, beforehand. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the things that you learn you know, on opening a restaurant, you know, do's and don'ts, um, I think, uh, are all really important. And, uh, you know, yeah, you try to try to pick up as much as you can here and there and learn from people and get inspired by people and, uh, and chefs and food and cuisine. Cause that's what it really gets down to, you know, at least for me. And I would think for most chefs, it's, it's a, it's a love of, of food and cuisine that really stems, you know, that all stems from. Hey, Austin, tell me about what it's like to cook with the cameras on and all these people watching and, you, you know, there, there some of the people watching are extraordinarily gifted, you know, chefs and, and they understand the process. How does that pressure feel? Talk, talk to me about that. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not one that gets very nervous. Um, I, th- I think that being in the restaurant industry uh, kind of prepares you a little bit for that because you, you really, you putting yourself on the line every day. Um, you know, when, when you're creating food and when you're cooking for people, at least on a high end, um, people, you know, they're, they're spending their good money for it and they're, they're going to judge what you put out for them. Um, and you know, it's, it's tough because, you know, that, that may be something that's really special to you or, a you know, family recipe and, People's tastes are all different, and they may not like it. And you, you know, you kind of get used to that and uh, and to that kind of pressure. Uh, and I think that that, you know, is amplified on these shows um, because you're gonna put your food up to real judges uh, and people that are have made a name for themselves as chefs. Um, and then they're going to talk about it in front of millions of people. <laughs> and, uh, so it's it's it's. You know, similar, but also obviously different. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think that's that kind of gets you ready for it and everything like that. The crazy thing is the amount of people that are working shows. I feel like that's probably what people don't realize because you don't see all that. But there are hundreds of people working on these shows um, while they're filming. You've got you know fifteen or twenty cameras. Um, you know, you've got all these different producers and, uh, you know, somebody that's in charge of all of the food that's available to cook and everything like that. Somebody that knows all of the equipment to be able to explain it, explain to you how it works and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then there's the hosts and judges and other competitors and everything like that too. So, um, really cool. I got to meet a ton of awesome people. Um, Alex was really, really nice. Hey, let's let's uh, pick it. We'll pick it. We're at the end of this sure. segment, so we'll pick it up right there on the other side about Alex. But we're talking with my friend uh, Chef Austin Summerall from White Pillars, who w- recently won a wonderful competition on the Food Network, and we'll talk more about that when we get back after this break. We'll see you shortly. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of The Ricky Matthews Show on your laptop, desktop, or your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. 
His passion and love for coastal Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. Welcome back to my show. I have Austin Summerall, chef, the chef and owner, uh, with his wife, Tress, of White Pillars in Biloxi. Recently won uh, a wonderful uh, competition on the Food Network's Alex versus America. Hey, side note, we'll pick up where we left off here in just a second. But a side note, uh, you, uh, you know, the audience knows I spent a lot of time working out and riding the bike. And not long ago, actually, I was riding the bike by a gym, and there was my friend Austin going going in to, to, to pay homage to his workout schedule. But you, know, you always right. wonder about a, a chef and, uh, you know, as much exposure you have to, to eating, you have to really pay attention to staying in shape, don't you? You do. Um, and uh, it's, it's something that I have to I have to work on personally. Um, it's hard being around a bunch of really good food, not just wanting to eat all the time. And also, you know, I'm passionate about it. Uh, you know, we like to eat out and go try other people's stuff too. Um, so long days on your feet for a long time, you gotta, you gotta try to make sure you're, uh, paying attention to your body a little bit too. Plus the, uh, you know, they say the camera adds 15 pounds. So. You know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get on more shows. So, <laughs> hey, you were saying that before I went to break. That one of the one of the benefits of doing this show. First of all, you mentioned there was so many people engaged in the show, and you know most of these national shows are like that. It's just the production quality. They don't leave a stone unturned in terms of putting it together. Um, they, it's cost a lot of money to do a production like this, and they don't leave anything to chance. But you said one of the benefits, what you were about to say, is getting to know Alex better. Uh, tell me more about that. Yeah, so on this show, you know, between rounds and once the timer stopped and, and before and everything when we weren't filming, um, you know, she's just she's a real person. She, she spoke to us like peers and uh, – you know, we kind of got to know her a little bit, and uh, she was very funny, and um, you know, just just like a like a real chef. And uh, so I thought that was a, that was a cool part of the uh, part of the show is getting to know um, the talent a little bit. And then um, Eric is the is the host of the show. He doesn't compete, but uh, but hosts it, and uh, he's a super nice guy too. And we. He's done Top Chef and some other stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we got to talk to him a little bit about, you know, how he felt competing versus watching people compete and all that kind of stuff, too. So that was an interesting angle and, uh, and very uh, uh, entertaining to hear, you know, what they really thought about all that. Um, and, and to see, you know, how, how you get to that level of success also, um, which is obviously super high. Yeah. Hey, listen, uh, Austin. I want to. I want to deal with. Uh, kind of hover on one thing here for a second. And it is this point about what did it feel like to be in front of the camera? And what what I heard in your answer was that you were prepared. That you spent a lot of time in the trenches uh, to be a good chef. You have to be willing to make some mistakes along the way. You got to develop thicker skin. You have to develop a taste for what people want. You have to be willing to listen to people and get the feedback. And the point that I'm making is that by the time you get on a show like that, you have you have spent a lot of time in the trenches, and um, and what what you develop is an ability to sort of 
have some confidence. You know, you right. have confidence in what you're bringing to the table, and when you have that, as and that's what you know, that's what success is all about. It's about doing the time, not skipping any steps, developing yourself, and preparing yourself for a situation like this. You do it every day at the restaurant. So what you what you did on the show is what you do at the restaurant. There's really a connection between those two things, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I think but it's, it's confidence. It's, um, you know, I cook all day, every day. This is just another, you know, time to cook. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what it is. You know, you kind of just let, um, your instincts kick in and everything like that. I think, um, over nerves, it's the hard parts, probably the adrenaline, um, which I still get every day in the restaurant when we start service. Um, so, you know, you're used to that a little bit, but it's, it's definitely amplified. And, uh, you know, once the lights are on and the cameras are rolling, it's, uh, there's a, that's, it's a pretty crazy feeling. And, um, so I actually, this is not the first show that I've done. I did a, uh, I did chopped as well. Um, and I actually did chopped before I did Alex versus America and it hasn't come out yet. Um, but she, she was one of my judges on there. And, um, so I had, you know, done the timed, um, on the camera cooking before, but I, but the very first round of chopped, um, when the, when I, when I first started, that was when I realized that, you know, you got to take a couple deep breaths and, uh, and focus because, you know, your mind is running really fast and uh, you, know, you got to settle down and, and get back to what you know, what you know how to do. So I think that helped me a little bit having already done, done one um, to kind of have an idea that, that it was going to take, take a, take just a second focus and, uh, and to execute. Hey, what's interesting. You also won the King of American seafood award during the great American seafood cook-off back in 2021. And we actually did a, a show about that, but you know, it's interesting. I think it's great though, and I, 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 and a lot of successful people say this, and that is that you should you should never lose the adrenaline to do what you're doing. You, the, the love of what you're doing, this this striving for excellence, and knowing that you never really arrive, it can never become sort of a routine, because the moment it becomes a routine, and you think you've arrived, is the day you start to go backwards. I mean, there is a it, it, to be a chef. To be really successful in life, actually, you have to realize that life is a journey. It's a constant effort to change and apply and meet the needs of your customers. And uh, and you feel that every day, don't you? Sure. Yeah, I think the uh, the biggest enemy for chefs is complacency. Um, and I, I had a, I worked for a guy named uh, Chris Hastings in uh, Birmingham for a long time, and he used to say that a lot. And uh, and that it's it's super true. As soon as you think this is good enough, uh, yeah, you start going back down. Um, so you know it, it's it's almost sad in a way because you know you're you 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 strive for perfection that you'll never reach. <laughs> and uh, and uh, but that's part of that's part of it. You know, if if you're not pushing yourself, if you're not pushing your team, if your team's not willing to push themselves. Um, then, you know, you, you end up with a product that's just not quite as good. Um, but I'm very lucky. Uh, you know, we, we hire people here uh, at White Pillars with the thought in mind, you know, that they, they want to better themselves as chefs. 
Um, and to me, you know, experience is really takes a backseat to somebody that's got a passion for it. And, uh, you know, we can, we can teach them what they need to know. And, uh, but I've got a really good team of people that, um, you know, they, they want each plate to be better than the next. Uh, and when they do make mistakes, which everyone does, I make mistakes, they make mistakes. We're all human. Um, you know, it, it's, I have to remind them that, Hey guys, you know, we're, we'll just use this as a learning experience. We'll get better. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll make the next one even, you know, twice as good or, you know, whatever, whatever it's gotta be, but you know, there's, it's easy to get down on yourself too. And, you know, that's, uh, it's important. You know, we, we try to keep, can't keep that positive attitude that, you know, we, uh, we're making something that people really like, and, um, we're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep trying to make each one better than the last. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, uh, it just goes under the, uh, the caption, as uh, as I said a minute ago, that you never arrive. There's you know there's the, there's really not a destination. The de- the destination really is the journey. It's the you know the joy of the journey and in discovering more opportunity and being more innovative. And that's the key. And you know your point really. There I mentioned this the other day on my show that there's a great book out called Built to Last, <clears throat> and what it talks about is. What it talks about is that the companies that have only a single charismatic leader and they follow the leader, if the leader were to ever go away, then they kind of lose their their rudder and they don't know where to go. But the companies that built into their core values, um, you know, some really solid core values. And the point you made a few minutes ago, hiring people that have the right attitude, that have a willingness to want to learn, that are smart. And one of the somebody said this to me early in my career, and I never forgot it. And I said it all the time after that. That okay, so here's the deal: I got a guy who's extraordinarily well trained. I mean, buddy, he passes all the tests. He is a whiz, amazing guy, but his attitude's a little bit off. And right. I got another guy over here who is not well trained, but he has an incredible attitude, a willingness to learn, and a real go getter. So, so some people, the way it works is they tend to go toward the well trained guys because they need that person right now. And they, but see, a year from now, you're right. going to have two well trained people. One of them's going to have a so so attitude. The other one's going to be a barn burner. Which do right. you want? I want the right. barn burner. Yep. Yeah, it's it's definitely an investment in people, and the 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 one thing that you hope is that you don't you put all that effort into you know sculpting this uh, you know great great chef, and then they they leave and go chef for somebody else, which is a thing. But it's, you know, and it, you know what though that's a so here's Zig Ziglar once said that if you help people get what they want out of life, you'll get what you want out of life. So the reality is helping people reach their goals it can be so painful because it means they may leave, right? But but if you get a reputation for growing people, you will attract more like them. And that's that's a that's actually a really good thing. Hey, when we come back, we'll talk more about where Chef Austin Summerall came from. We'll remind you a little bit about his past. We'll see you after that. Subscribe for free to the Ricky Matthews Show podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reminding you why we all love living in coastal Mississippi. It's the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. 
Welcome back to my show. Listen, uh, I said this the first time that Austin and I, Austin Summerall, the chef and owner with his wife, Tress, of uh, White Pillars in Biloxi, that when I was in high school, I, I washed dishes for a period of time at, at White Pillars, and then I bust tables after that. And it was a great experience for me, <clears throat> learning how a, a first-class restaurant, even back in those days, how they operate and how they take care of their employees and all of that. And then, of course, we all know the rest of the story. It set idle for a period of time, and um, Tress and, and um, Austin had an opportunity to start this restaurant. Tremendous investment was made in that building to bring it back. We'll talk a little bit more about you know some of the unique aspects of, of that building, but uh, – but, you know, you, you opened it and didn't look back, and it's been really well. So I, what I would say, I want to go back to your time in Macomb and growing up. But before we go there, if you had to describe your restaurant to someone who's not heard of White Pillars before, how do you describe it? Well, you know, it's uh, it's pretty tough to describe. That's something that we've struggled with over the past five and a half years because there's, there's a lot of nuance to it. Uh, but, you know, we are kind of – our elevator pitch is it's, uh, it's farm-to-table cuisine, uh, local seasonal uh, vegetables and proteins um, in a uh, remodeled neoclassical mansion on the beach. Yeah, that's that's the way to say it. That's the yeah. way to say it. And let's let's go back. Let's go back to your time in Macon. Sure. You um, you grew up hunting and fishing and sort of appreciating life on a ranch, life in the woods. Uh, you had this kind of uh, heritage of, of cooking. And from your, you learned it from your mother and your grandmother in, in, the, in, the, in your pastime. Um, but that was, you know, at the time you probably didn't fully appreciate it, but that was, gonna, that was a really, really important part of who you are, isn't it? Sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think in the like core of it, you know, I've, I've, I get asked that question a pretty good bit. Like, how do you, you know, how do you get into this? I think what it really goes back to is that in, in my family, when I was growing up, um, so my mom's side of my family is from South Louisiana. Um, and my dad's side of my family's from uh, Jackson and, uh, but on, but on both sides, um, you know, food was more than just, uh, you know, more than just, sustenance it was uh, you know it was a reason for the family to gather and uh it was more of an event uh and uh that that was it was really important and it was about um you know fellowship with your with your family and everything like that but but the food was also important um so we always laughed you know we, if we were having lunch we were talking about dinner and if we were having dinner we were talking about what we could do with these leftovers for breakfast and it was just always you know kind of a, a round the round and round we went um but it was you know it was important um to my family and i think that that's kind of what instilled it in into me um but yeah i grew up uh, in macomb um we we lived in town for the most part uh but we did we had a farm um, uh, we raised uh, beef cattle and um, pine trees on, and I spent spent a lot of my time out there um, hunting and fishing. It's on the uh, Amit River, um, so we bass fish in there, and then we had uh, uh, cattle ponds that we would uh, brim fish in, and then uh, of course, you know, uh, turkeys and deer and all that kind of stuff were uh, very prevalent. Um, so it was nice. It was a it was a great way to grow up. Um, I still uh, like to go out there. My parents actually live out there now. Um, so 
we like to go visit and uh you know you get away from everything their house is uh, a mile in any direction from a paved road um so it's uh it's pretty awesome and uh um it was just a great great way to grow up and uh you know my dad who uh is a big listener too so i'm sure he'll hear this uh he was uh he always said you know if we, if we kill it we're going to eat it um, you know, so nothing, uh, nothing went to waste or anything like that. So, you know, we ate all that stuff that we killed and that we caught and, uh, everything like that. So, um, that was, it was awesome. And, you know, it honestly, it gave me a leg up in my like technical, uh, career in the, uh, in the industry too. Um, whenever I got to, uh, breaking down, you know, whole hogs and lamb and, uh, even cows a couple times. You know, I, I've done a lot of, uh, of uh, butchery, you know, just with, uh, you know, growing up on a farm that I, I knew more than most. And uh, I actually got a, a job as a butcher at a Hot and Hot for that reason. And uh, one, of, one of my favorite jobs I've ever done, I still do all the butchery here at, uh, at White Pillars. And, um, you know, I enjoy it. It's, uh, it's a, you know, kind of a art that a lot of people are losing. <clears throat> And uh, it's just it's just cool and fun. Gives you an opportunity to do some really cool things with uh, proteins that not many other people can. Yeah, you know my son, my show Super Talk Outdoors. I celebrate the outdoors every Monday. Statewide show goes across a bunch of radio stations, and I really enjoy doing that show. I really enjoy it, and it's a celebration of this sort of getting back to the outdoors and what it means to us. And, and by the way, I mean, obviously with deer hunting and from time to time, you know, killing a wild hog, um, we've gotten pretty good at, at, uh, you know, we, we got a cleaning shed with a great table and we, we get up, prepare all our own meat and it's a, it's a great experience. And we teach the kids how to do it. And it just, you know, it, it really brings home this point that you make from the farm or from the garden to the table and, and having real meaning to that. Sure. Well, and I think that's, you know, part of the reason that I gravitated towards that. I mean, most of the restaurants that I've worked in coming up and then of course, White Pillars now, um, really cared about the farm farm to table aspect, um, and you know our our point is that everyone should know where their food comes from. Everyone, not just farmers, everybody. You should read labels. You should uh, eat locally, um, and it's not just for the reason that it's going to taste better. Because you know if a tomato is picked in you know Mexico and then it. Uh, you know, you pick it green, they pump in gases on the truck to ripen it on the way to Walmart. Um, and it just isn't, it's not going to taste as good, but it's also, you know, it's worse for the environment. You've got all that long truck, long haul trucking um, to get it across America and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you've, we, we have a little bit of a tendency uh, as a society to um, want what we want. We want it now. Um, but kind of getting back to that whole eating seasonally, eating locally and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's really where, you know, where everybody should be heading. Um, and added bonus, it tastes better when it's riper, uh, and when it's grown locally, but we take it one step further here at White Pillars is, um, not just that we know where our food comes from, but we know who our food comes from. We have relationships with our farmers, we have relationships with our fishmongers, and um, it helps us as a restaurant um, to know one, what's coming up, 
what, what we're going to get soon. And I communicate, uh, you know, I know that uh, heirloom tomatoes are about a week away, which is very exciting for me because tomatoes are something that's very important. Um, but that's a relationship that we've built with our uh, with our farmers. And, um, you know, we've been out to the oyster farms with uh, Mike and Anita Arguelles. And, uh, you know, I pulled the oysters right out of the water. We know the process that they use. Um, they can tell me what the salinity is like and how those oysters are going to taste before they ever even get here. And uh, so it's a, uh, it's a really cool thing. And um, it's uh, something that we're very proud of. And, and it's also, you know, it's been very fulfilling this um people have become friends of ours and, uh, you know, they support us here at the restaurant and, you know, we in turn support them. And, uh, it's just this, you know, cool community of people that are making stuff that tastes really good. Yeah, no, it, it really, it really is. And what's interesting is that if you have a popular dish that requires some fresh component and that fresh component is not available, you're not forcing it. You're just going to, yeah. That's something that, uh, you know, okay, going back to my time at Hot and Hot, um, they're very famous for their tomato salad, like world famous for their tomato salad. And when I was the chef de cuisine there, I would go to the farmer's market with my pocket knife and open boxes of tomatoes and cut into them for weeks before it was time to bring on the tomato salad because they had to be perfect. We would not serve them if they weren't ready, if they were mealy, if they were underflavored, all that kind of stuff, um, which towards the beginning of tomato season, you get tomatoes that are like that, and then they start coming in where they're perfect, and then you finally can put it on, and then sometimes you'd have a, a cold snap, and then you have to take it back off again, and people get mad, <laughs> and, uh, but it's just not the reason it's world famous is because you're only serving product that's perfect. And, uh, and it's what makes it taste so good. So we, we kind of stick to that model. And, uh, yeah, when we have to take dishes off, and people may get upset. And, but you just have to tell them, look, you know, it'll be back next season. You'll just have to wait and you can get it then. And, but, it, but it also keeps, it keeps me interested. It keeps our staff interested because we change our menu all the time. We change at least a few things every week. And something changes on there pretty much every week. Man, I, I love the trend in the oyster for, farming here in coastal Mississippi. In fact, I'll mention a little bit more about that on the other side. And um, and then we'll, we'll remind folks that you actually wanted to be a mechanical engineer. And it was not a, a, you know easy communication to tell your mother that you were going to go a different route. Hey, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Chef Austin Summerall from the White Pillars. We'll see you after this. Also, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Gulf Coast 103.1. The role that chefs play in coastal Mississippi, so many incredible restaurants all over this amazing place. They, they're they the ones who create kind of a sense of place. They all bring their angle to the conversation and they create 
um, you know, wonderful um, in some way restaurant restaurant destinations that people come to, and they want to have an experience. It's not just about the food. Certainly, the food's at the center, but it's an experience. And um, you know, White Pillars is among those. I always enjoy my conversation with uh, with Austin. We, we you mentioned uh, Mike Arguelles and his wife Anita, uh, both friends. Mike actually built my peer, and they've been on the show a couple of times. But what Mike has done with the uh, French French Hermit Oysters, this aquaculture for, uh, oyster farming operation that he's put together, and uh, now through them, I've gotten to know all these others and what they're doing. First of all, when you eat one of those oysters, it's it's if there's such thing as a perfect oyster, that's what I feel when I eat one of those. But Mike's got it down to science, though, doesn't he, Austin? Sure, he really does. And the the whole idea of the um, off bottom aquaculture of the oysters, you know, to me, you just get so much more control over um, the way they turn out. Um, that it's just you just get this really cool product and it's one of those things where it's really special a lot of times especially when it comes to um seafood uh cultivating you know the farmed product just is not as good as the wild um this one this is not one of those cases uh you know it's it's better in like a a lot of facets one uh, a wild oyster takes two to three years to mature um these are eight to twelve months um so you're cutting that time down and then they uh they don't hurt the environment where they're growing them you know even when you're farming a crop you know you have you have to do something to put nutrients back in that soil and things like that and crop rotation and things um that's not the case with these oysters they actually help the water that they put that you put them in because they're a filter um and then um you know, you're not you're not hurting or destroying anything while you're out there, uh, and it's just really you know, it's really cool process. And you get uh, you get these really delicious oysters. Um, and they do some cool stuff uh, like taking them out uh, and tumbling them, and uh, you know it helps create the shape of the shell. And it also um, Mike and I laugh that it's like working your oysters out. Um, because you're actually strengthening that muscle as they try to stay closed as they're tumbled in this machine. And it gives you a firmer, more plump oyster um, when you go to eat it, which, uh, you know, is also really nice. And then the, uh, you know, the flavor just can't be matched. It's really cool, really cool product. Very, very blessed uh, to have them. We will have, um, they'll probably be here, I would think, in the next hour or so with oysters that are in the water currently. So um, Yeah, it's it's incredible how quick they get from the water to your restaurant. Listen, my wife Ann and I uh, spent some time in, in, in Croatia, and one of the things that you see in Croatia a lot are the the uh, oyster farming in cages above the water. Lots, I mean, they're, listen, they're known, Croatia's known for their wine because of their grapes. They're known for their olive oil because of their olive trees, just like Italy, for example. And then mm-hmm. their seafood. I mean, their fish, the way they cook their fish, incredible. And then, of course, their, their oysters, they're very proud of that. It's great to see us doing it. For people who missed my conversation with Mike and Anita Orguelas, you can go look it up uh, on Facebook. But anyway, uh, Raising these cages that are floating, and it's uh, just south of uh, of Deer Island. Just a, it's just a wonderful process. What's cool about what you what you just said was that you understand the process. You've been out there. You've you get it. You can talk about it to that level. And that same thing is true when you talk about 
tomatoes or any other raw material that might be coming from someone's garden and the relationship you have with them. And that makes it so complete, doesn't it? It does. Well, and it's, you know, and we, we do our best to try to communicate all of that stuff to our servers and everything too, because we feel like that they're the, they're the liaison between us and the guests. Um, and, and to me, it's important for people to know, um, yeah, you may eat something and say, Hey, this is really good. But if you know why it's really good, it makes it even more special. And, uh, and to know some of the process and, and the hard work that people put into it. And I think that goes back to growing up on the farm. You know, we kind of touched on that earlier. Um, you know, I, I saw firsthand and was a party to um, a lot of that getting up early and working really hard. And, uh, you know, that, that has to be, um, you know, celebrated. And uh, it's really important for us for people to understand the hard work that goes into the food even before we get it. And then we yeah. do <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, listen, I, I can tell you this. Um, I, uh, my wife and I, you know, we got a we got a gift from our kids for Christmas a year or two ago, and you know, used it within the past year. Had dinner there, and um, the food was just incredible. We left there stuffed, <laughs> but it was fresh, and it was just incredible. And any regrets of not going into mechanical engineering? No, no, none at all. I uh, I can't imagine really doing anything else. You know, as far as my professional career goes, um, once I was I was in in college when I started in restaurants, but once I was out, I haven't I haven't done anything else. So um, I uh, I can't imagine doing it. It is something that I, I truly enjoy coming to work every day. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, you know I just I, I still love it. Yeah, I'm no, I know you do. Listen, we're out of time, Austin. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Congratulations on your success, both at the restaurant and uh, in your sort of national awareness and more to come, more to come. be interesting to see where, where this takes you. Have, have a good, good day, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. You bet. Look forward to having you back. Have a great day and we'll see you tomorrow. You Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.